Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome to a playoff edition of the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. I'm Ben Ross. Yep, it's playoff time in Major League Baseball. Eight series this week, including the Oakland A's hosting the Chicago White Sox in a best of three at the Coliseum. The A's, the two seed in the American League after they captioned the AL West crowned the Chicago White Sox. Looked for a while like they were going to win the AL Central, but kind of struggled down the stretch. They fall to the seventh seed, but only a game separating these two teams in the standings. The A's at 36 and 24. The White Sox at 35 and 25. We got a great guest for you this week. Longtime A's radio broadcaster Ken Korak joins the Believe in A's podcast. He was the 2013 California Sportscaster of the Year, the 2001 Nevada Sportscaster of the Year, and he is now in his 25th season as an A's radio play-by-play announcer, including his 15th year as the lead broadcaster. So Ken, with some terrific insight about this A's White Sox series actually I didn't know this but I found out Ken made his major league debut with the White Sox back in 1992 he spent four years doing White Sox games so might call this the Ken Korak series A's and White Sox we talk about all of the matchups the starting rotations the lineups and the bullpens and then we get a little bit into Ken's experiences this year, a strange year for play-by-play broadcasters, doing road games from remote locations, just calling it off the monitor. Ask Ken for his favorite play-by-play call in his A's career. Maybe even more interesting to me was his least favorite call, one that he would like back. He actually had a couple that surprised me. Ken is a phenomenal broadcaster and and an even better guy. So we really appreciate him coming on the podcast this week. We'll get to our conversation with him in just a few minutes. But first, let's get into this matchup a little bit more with the A's and the White Sox beginning Tuesday afternoon at the Coliseum in Oakland. The A's going with the rookie Jesus Lazardo in game one. He'll be opposed by Lucas Giolito, the right-hander for the White Sox. The Game 2 matchup, Chris Bassett for Oakland and Dallas Keuchel for the White Sox. A couple of interesting matchups there. I like the decision to go Lizardo. I'm not going to lie, it surprised me a little bit, but I, uh, I'm all for it. I know he's young, I know he's a rookie, but his stuff is just electric. Best stuff probably on the entire A's pitching staff. And when he's on his game, he is tough to hit. Tim Anderson of the White Sox already making some headlines uh, with some comments he made on Monday. I don't know if you've seen this stat floating around. The White Sox are 14-0 this year when facing a left-handed starting pitcher. So Tim Anderson said, I guess the A's didn't do their homework when it came to starting Jesus Lazardo, a lefty, against the White Sox, who have done so well against Southpaws. Could make for some interesting conversations but he has a point the White Sox 14-0 against lefties I still like the decision to go with Lazardo. as I said when he's on his game he is tough to hit for left-handed hitters or right-handed bats and uh, 
despite the fact that he's young, he is mentally tough, and I think he's up for the challenge. And then Chris Bassett in Game 2, the American League Pitcher of the Month. He was 3-0 and with a 0.34 ERA in the month of September. So he is coming in pitching terrific. And both Lazardo and Bassett have been really good at the Coliseum this year too. So it really should be a fascinating series. And the odds makers certainly think so too. Checking out betonline.ag for the series odds. The A's a slight favorite at minus 125. On that note, we want to tell you a little bit more about betonline.ag. With football back, you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. And, of course, it's not just football, as I referenced. Plenty of baseball futures and game odds as well. The Dodgers, no surprise, they're the World Series favorites at plus 300. The Yankees, next best at plus 600. A's at plus 1,600. They're tied for the ninth best odds to win the World Series with the Cubs and the Reds. The White Sox a little bit better at plus 1,400. Odds to win the American League pennant. Yankees the favorites at plus 300. Then the Rays right behind them at plus 325. A's and White Sox both at plus 750. Don't forget for game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, our guest this week on the Believe in A's podcast has been an A's play-by-play broadcaster for the last 25 years, including 15 as the lead radio broadcaster. In 2013, he was the California Sportscaster of the Year. Back in 2001, the Nevada Sportscaster of the Year when he was with UNLV and a member of the Nevada Broadcasters Hall of Fame. We are so excited to welcome Ken Korak to the Believe in A's podcast. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ben. It's good to be with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, it's a, it's a really fun time of the year as the playoffs are going to get set to, to get underway. The A's and the Chicago White Sox opening a best of three series in Oakland. Uh, we just found out, we're taping on Monday, uh, we just found out the starting pitchers, at least for the first two games for the A's. You got Jesus Lazardo, the rookie, in game one, and Chris Bassett going in game two. They'll be countered by the White Sox, Lucas Giolito, and Dallas Keuchel. First of all, Ken, what are your thoughts on the rookie going in game one, Jesus Lazardo? Well, we had a little bit of an inkling then when he came out of the bullpen last week against the uh, Dodgers in L.A. to keep him on turn. So we knew they were thinking about it. They were keeping their options open. But I also think the fact that he pitched great, albeit in relief, last year in the wild card game against the Rays uh, may have influenced them. So he has great stuff. And I think it's it's really validation of how they feel about Jesus. And uh, you need dominant starting pitching in the postseason. He's one of those guys who can dominate. And even though, and the A's, know, everybody knows the White Sox are 14-0 and this year in games started by lefties, but that has left the A's undeterred as far as having Jesus go in the first game. And then Chris Bassett was just named the American League Pitcher of the Month, as you know, Ben, for September. So uh, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year, so it's no surprise that he's going to go in the second game. 
You know, it was really interesting. You bring up the 14 and 0 stat, the White Sox uh, having all that success against lefties this year. A couple of things that, that come to mind. Number one, you know, when I saw that, I thought there was maybe a chance we would see Mike Fires in game one. And now I like the decision to go Lazardo, even though he's a lefty. Um, again, you mentioned he's probably got the best stuff on the staff. I, I understand he's a rookie, but his, his stuff is electric. And, you know, he doesn't have the mindset of a rookie. He's proven that he is mentally tough and, uh, and ready for all challenges. But I did think maybe there was a chance we'd see Mike Fires. Maybe we'd see, see him in game three. What, what are your thoughts on a potential game three starter if we get that far? Well, and Mike has pitched well enough since he joined the A's with the uh, trade back in 18 to warrant a start because he's won a lot of his games and the A's have won most of the games he started. So I thought it was interesting that they left the third game open. Uh, they have not announced a starter for that game. It may, it may uh, be influenced by if one of the starters pitches in relief sure. in one of these first two games. So I guess it's possible. They have six starters right now if you count Mike Minor. It's been kind of Mr. Doubleheader for them uh, since he joined the A's from the Rangers. So uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think Frankie Montas would, would get a start because he threw 113 pitches on Sunday. Right. So uh, it'd be pretty tough for him to come back. So I would guess that the third game would come down to Fires or Manaya. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking too. And, and of course, if you're the A's, you're hoping that you win it in two and you don't have to worry about that. I don't know if you got a chance to see. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, one of the quotes from Tim Anderson today uh, from the White Sox. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, he was he was talking about uh, how the how the A's didn't do their homework when it comes to left-handed pitchers uh, and and how well the White Sox have done against them. I I think it's safe to say when you've got guys like David Forrest, Billy Bean, Bob Melvin, they've done their homework. It's just a matter of they think Lazardo's stuff is good enough. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, Tim, I guess a little cocky, but the way that he's hit the last two years, um, I guess if anybody has a license to be that way, it might be uh, Tim Anderson right now. That's a good point. Well, actually, you know, I forgot to bring this up right at the top, but uh, you made your major league debut, if I'm not mistaken, for the White Sox back in 92. You spent four years uh, announcing games for the White Sox. So this is kind of the Ken Korak series. Well, I wouldn't go that far. They, you'd have to be a real ardent follower of the White Sox from the 90s to remember that I worked there. But you know, I was the third man in their crew. I had a great time with uh, John Rooney and the late Ed Farmer. I worked one game a week, basically. I was there on, on the weekends for four straight years. They had a really good team when I was there, too. I mean, that was the Robin Ventura, Frank Thomas, oh, yeah. Jack McDowell era. Uh, Joey Cora, Ozzie Guillen, uh, even Bo Jackson was there a little bit. So uh, they had some really good teams back in those days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, it should be a, a fun matchup for sure. So I, I, we talked a little bit about the, the A starting pitchers. You know, a lot of people, myself included, were really hoping to avoid the Cleveland Indians in the first round because of their dominant starting pitching. You know, they, they've got Shane Bieber and Zach Plezak, who have both been phenomenal. But you know, the White Sox are no piece of cake either. I mentioned earlier, um, they're going to be throwing Lucas Giolito in game one, Dallas Keuchel in game two. What are your thoughts on the White Sox starters? And can the A's, what are the A's going to have to do to be successful against them? Those guys are really good. Um, and you're right about Bieber, but sometimes we can overanalyze this stuff. And over the years, we've seen some of these uh, you know, Ben Ballyhooed pitching matchups that don't materialize. So just when you think you've got a guy that's it's a lock, 
he goes out and doesn't pitch that well in the playoffs. But they're two different pitchers completely. Uh, Giolito was a power arm through a no-hitter earlier this year. Uh, and Dallas Keuchel, of course, and the A's have seen a lot of him during his time with the Astros. Left-handed ground ball pitcher, finesse pitcher, doesn't nearly have the fastball that Giolito has. But these are really good matchups. Uh, so yeah, you, if, when you face guys like Giolito and Keuchel, uh, you've really got to be on your game offensively. And I think that it brings into focus how much all the little things are so important in the postseason. You've got to move runners up. You've got to hit well with runners in scoring position. Score the runner from third base with less than two outs. So all those little nuanced aspects of your offensive game, I think, become a lot more magnified in the postseason, especially when you're, you're facing this kind of starting pitching. Yeah, well, and, and that's one of the concerns I think a lot of people have had uh, with the A's offense this year. You know, the, they've been pretty inconsistent, I think, for a lot of the year. Now, it's no secret that, that this A's offense uh, often lives by the long ball. You know, they, they have a lot of power hitters, not necessarily um, guys who hit for average. What are your thoughts on the A's offense as we head into this series? Kind of went through a little slump. It felt like towards the end of the season, maybe a few guys have gotten back on track. Do you think that they can kind of get the bats going again? They have not had a real good offensive year. And you're right. I think it's an understatement to say they've been inconsistent. So they have to pick up their game from that standpoint. And they had better at bats, I thought, this weekend in the series against the Mariners. I was encouraged by that. And they've been implored by Darren Bush, their hitting coach, to get back into the A's way of thinking at the plate. And that is, you know, make sure you get your pitch to hit. Don't swing at the pitcher's pitch and get deeper into counts. And I think that, that if the A's can advance onto the division series and even past that, the fact there are no days off until you get to the World Series might be a factor. If the A's can get into that grinding mode and get into bullpens early, you could chew up a bullpen without the days off. So, yeah. uh, but they have to improve offensively from what uh, they've done during the regular year. And Bob Melvin's made some good points about that, Ben, relating to the shortness, the, the, the shortened season this year, the 60 game season. Mm -hmm. And that is, it, it can, it can weigh on a hitter when you're hitting around 200 or 220 and you see that every day on the scoreboard and you really, you realize that you don't have 162 games to get back on track right. with your numbers, because usually the good hitters kind of find their level, even after they make a, they have a slow start. That doesn't, it doesn't always work out that way. Guys have, have bad years, but they, the hitters really weren't afforded that opportunity this year to kind of get things back on track. So as he said, this is a fresh start in the postseason. So. The, the, the cliche about the numbers don't mean anything. Well, they don't starting tomorrow. That's a great point. Well, uh, you know, case in point, I think Matt Olson, um, you look at a guy who only hit 195 this year. Obviously, he did hit quite a few home runs and, and drove in plenty of runs. And so uh, he was productive in that way. But it felt like, especially towards the end of the year, Ken, I mean, you, you got a chance to see him every day a lot of strikeouts. Now, again, that's not something that's uncommon for power hitters. Um, but do you, do you feel like Olsen has kind of figured out what was, what was going on at the plate or do you still worry about him? And, and we've seen a lot of swing and miss from him recently. Yeah, he was, he's been beaten by a lot of fastballs and it's no secret. And I would, I would think that Giolito would try to attack him with fastballs in the first game of the series. So uh, it's no fun to be batting below 200 
And that's what he's had to look at. Now he's been in the top 10 all year in home runs and in RBIs, and he still is getting on base and he walks a lot. Right. And that's what Bo Mel points to. I think it would really help him too, Ben, if the guys ahead of him were getting on base as well. And so I'm curious to see how they're going to work the lineup. You know, it might be Simeon and then uh, Listella one, two, or maybe Bob, uh, uh, Robbie Grossman in the two spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, you, you know, and a few of the guys you just mentioned, I think the positives for the A's is a few of the bats have sort of been heating up, at least in that last series. You know, Mark Canna has put together some really good at bats. Uh, Robbie Grossman, who you mentioned, hit two home runs uh, in the in the regular season finale. Um, you yeah, know, two, yeah, the second game of the doubleheader. Correct. On Saturday, Correct, right? on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Tommy yeah. Lastella has been terrific since he came over from the Angels. Jake Lamb uh, has hit a few home runs since coming over and, and signing after being DFA'd. Uh, Ramon Laureano has looked a little bit better too. So w- when, you, when you look at some of those guys, do you see reason for optimism that maybe the A's bats are showing a little bit more of what they're capable of? I do. I do, Ben. I would be a lot more concerned if my my evaluation of the club or my, my feeling about it was that they just were a mediocre offensive team that had a mediocre offensive year. I think this is a good offensive team that had a mediocre offensive year. So there's still that opportunity to take it to another level. And let's not forget that they had a really arduous schedule uh, beginning after that brief hiatus when they had the positive test in the traveling party that turned out to be Daniel Mingdon. Right. You know, they missed, what, four or five days, didn't play their first game in September until the 4th of September. And I don't know if that was a huge factor, but ever since then, it seems like their offensive game has dropped off a little bit. So I still believe in this club offensively. Sean Murphy has had a really good September, yeah, uh, especially for a rookie. And I think they did a great job in the acquisition of Jake Lamb. Uh, it's really hard when you lose a player. And he nobody expects him to be Matt Chapman because Chapman is so impactful, especially – um, on defense and as one of the leaders of the club, but to get a bona fide major league, he's a legitimate major league player and to get him. So yeah, I, I still think that there is a chance that these guys um, could get hot in the postseason. Well, I think another thing that benefits the A's is when you look at the pitching staff that they have, it, it's not like they need to score six or seven runs to win games. You know, you, if you can get a lead, you score three runs even and get a lead in a game midway through with the bullpen that the A's have had this year, that could be enough. And, and I want to talk about the A's bullpen because, you know, this was, this bullpen was probably the strength of the team two years ago in, in 2018 um, when they, when they ended up playing the Yankees in the wild card a bit of a down year last year. And I think that was surprising, but now all of a sudden they bounced back best ERA in baseball this year, uh, led by Liam Hendricks, who had another phenomenal season as the closer. So how important is the A's bullpen, particularly in this postseason setting? Well, and I go back to what I said earlier, Ben, uh, related to the no days off. So I think that that means that the bullpens are even more important. And especially if you advance past this first round, the other thing is the starters will have a short leash. Now, it's not like the one-game wild card, and the A's are really tired of that, having yeah. been through that. They don't want to deal with that, having dealt with it three times. But you're not going to give your starters that, that opportunity, maybe, if you fall behind, to try to work through it and get deeper into a ball game. And yeah. we, don't know that, we don't know the composition of the, uh, of the roster, and especially the pitchers for the first game here. So you might have a starter or two in the bullpen who might be available 
down there as well. So there's no doubt it's one of the big – the bullpen, if you look at all the, the components that make up a ball club, uh, the bullpen was the number one strength of this team this year. Yeah, and that, that's a great point with, with potential starters heading to the pen too because that is something that I think Bob Melvin touched on today. We could see all six of the A's starter on the roster, uh, and you know that means guys that you referenced like Mike Miner um, or even a Mike Fires or a Frankie Montas maybe later on in the series uh, could play a role out of the pen. But, I mean, even without You could them, have Fires in long relief. Right. Or maybe you need to get out a get a tough lefty out, and Manaya could be a guy who could do that for you too. Sure, no, you're right, and it, it it's not a, a one game winner take all like it has been, but best of three is still pretty much all all hands on deck. And so I think you're right. I think we will see uh, Bob Melvin manage this, you know, very aggressively, and and you're not going to see these long leashes uh, for starting pitchers. But you know, I I talked about Hendricks, it's. I think one of the, the real strengths of this A's bullpen is just the, the depth that they have. And maybe that's something else that uh, will really benefit them if they advance and play all of these games without days off. Um, you know, Joaquin Soria has had a really nice bounce back year. Jake Diekman has been terrific. He gave up one run the whole year. We looked like a while, for a while he might not give up any runs. Um, and, you know, some of the good news that we saw uh, that we found out from Susan Slusser from the Chronicle, she's, reporting that J.B. Wendelkin uh, will be back. He went on the injured list toward the end of the year, no reason specified. Um, but if he does return, that's just another really good piece at, at the back end of that bullpen. So uh, how do you see it? I mean, it, it feels to me like if the A's lead, lead a game after five innings, they're in pretty good position. I would agree with that. And Hendricks is durable, so he could pitch in all three games. Yeah. If the series goes three, he could pitch in all three. He could pitch in four in a row, I think, if you needed him to. He's really rested. He's only pitched in like two or three games in the last two and a half weeks. So he hasn't, hasn't pitched that much. So uh, I think that, that right now he may be the best closer in the American League. Now, Brad Hand had a really good year for the Indians, but there's no better closer in the league, and he wants the ball. So, and he engenders that kind of confidence when he comes into the game. Um, on the ball club. So when the A's are ahead late, uh, they've got a great shot for sure. Something about A's and Australian closers, right? Bring, bringing back memories of Balfour and yeah. Balfour rage. Well, when you look at this series and the White Sox had, had a really good year and it looked for a while like they were going to win uh, their division, the AL Central. They kind of scuffled a little bit down the stretch, but this is still a, a solid all-around team. And we've, we've talked about the starting pitching. They've got a pretty good bullpen themselves, and they've got a good lineup. What, what do you think? I mean, it's hard to, to break this thing down to just a couple of keys, but, you know, what the heck? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do it anyway. What, what do you think are, are the biggest keys in this series, aside from the obvious of scoring more runs yeah and playing better than the other team yeah what what do you think do you see any particular matchups or any particular position groups that are going to play the biggest role for either side well i don't want to oversimplify it ben but i do think the ace playing at home is a real positive mm -hmm. they had a really good year one of the best home records in baseball so that was big that they won the division and secured home field the coliseum is a quirky place to play and the white Sox haven't played there this year of course and Nobody's played there, played there except for the two Western divisions, the big foul territory and all that. Now, maybe in a perfect world, if you're an A's fan, you would rather see the A's playing at night with the marine layer coming in and everything cooling down 
with all those bats because the White Sox have a really potent offense. Yeah. But I think playing at noon, uh, the A's play they just played the most day games of any team in baseball this year, Ben. They played half their literally half their games, 30 games in the daytime. So that might might be a plus for the A's too, or the White Sox traveling. And I know that they've been here and they worked out today. The White Sox have not been playing that well. They've lost nine of their last 12. They're averaging just over three runs a game during that time, although they've been one of the highest scoring teams in in the league this year. So they, you know, and, and a warm day at the Coliseum, you always are concerned if you give up some fly balls that might carry out. So they, they really have some guys who can rake. And they're, they're largely a young team, but they have veterans sprinkled in there who I think can really help them maybe with the potential jitters of playing in the postseason for the first time. So I think they have enough veterans. But my, my and listen, Ben, we've tried to figure this out for years. This is the 11th postseason that I've had the privilege of broadcasting. And we, we know the A's history has been somewhat spotty at best in the postseason during that time so um i may not be the greatest analyst when it comes to trying to figure out like postseason scenarios or prognostications but i believe this playing in this first series at home that the if the ace play well that they're going to win the series i really i think if they if they play their game and play well uh that they have a great chance to advance i completely agree and, and i'm with you that i think the coliseum benefits the a's a lot it it's fascinating because you know, a lot of people might think in this strange year with no fans that, you know, who cares about where you play? Home field advantage doesn't matter. But for whatever reason, the A's have always, I mean, at least the last few years, played really well at the Coliseum. And, and look, we know all about it. It's, it's uh, for visiting teams, it's not their favorite place to come play. Um, it's not a luxurious new stadium. And the A's are very comfortable there. You know, we, we know all about the, the foul territory, which helps pitchers. It plays big, especially if it's chilly. Now, they're, they're day games, and it looks like it might be a little warm, so that might not be a factor. But you're right. The A's have, have been really good at the Coliseum, not just this year, but it feels like for a few years. Another thing you mentioned was the experience. I think that might be, you know, maybe another area where the, where the A's have a little bit of an edge. You know, uh, the last two years haven't gone the way that Oakland wanted in those wild card games, but that's valuable experience for, for a lot of young guys on this roster just to kind of know what it's going to be like, you know, what, what it's like playing with that added pressure. And at least this time, it's not, it's not a one and done. It's best of three still is, is not the biggest sample size, but it's better than one and done. Well, there's the cliche about just being happy to be there. They're not just happy to be there. Yeah. And this goes back to spring training. This group, when they gathered in Arizona, number one, they wanted to win the division. They were tired of seeing the Astros celebrate. Yeah. And they accomplished that. And the other thing is that this group, they believe they can win a World Series. Now they have a lot of work to do. You've got to get through three series just to get there. So I do think that there's this, this great determination amongst this group because they're tired of, of the one and done and losing and not getting deep. They really want to experience that. So, uh, And that's one of the great things about this whole thing. You know, I'm not a big fan of 16 teams making the postseason, but I think for this year, it's fine. My sense has been, my feeling has been, been whatever they want to do this year, because it's such an unusual and difficult year, obviously, with the virus that we've all dealt with. Whatever they want to do, that's fine. But I'm looking around the American League, and I think every series has potentially some real good drama. Uh, they could all be good series. Yeah, well, that you know, that's what I want to get into, because it has been such a strange year. And I'm with you. I, I'm fine with whatever they want to do this year. We've seen so many 
weird rules from, you know, the extra inning rules to the seven inning doubleheaders. This is just, I mean, it's a 60 game season. It is what it is. It's not going to be, this is far from regular baseball. Um, but for this season, it is fun. I'm curious what, what your experience has been like this year calling the games, because I know it's been a lot different for you too, whether at home or especially on the road, as far as I know, you haven't been traveling. You've been calling the road games off a monitor. So what's, what's that all been like for you? There's this great joy that comes over all of us when the A's are actually on the field and we can call games that we can see. <laughs> it's like this euphoria. Yeah, uh, It's been difficult while the, teams have been, the, the, the A's have been on the road, Ben, but we understand why it is. So we don't, I mean, we complain about a little bit. To, we have a little fun with that, but the reality is we understand why it's happening and we're totally on board with the fact that we're not traveling this year. So the home games have been fine. And I think the A's have done a great job with the audio in the ballpark. So I, I've, it, it, was, it was an adjustment, of course, early without any fans there. Now there are 10,000 cutouts. And I think it doesn't simulate like having fans there. It's not the same. But it does make it seem less cavernous, I guess, even with the cutouts there, maybe in a strange way. But I really like what they've done with the audio. and when the team's at home. And I can, of course, you, we hear that in our headset. And this is like, it's like real fake crowd noise. I mean, this is, these are the, it's the real drumming sounds of the Coliseum. Right. It's real fans that they went out and recorded. Right. And so the drumming is kind of the drum beat of the Coliseum. And it reminds us of what it's like to be there when there are fans. And I can, I can hear that. And we've heard some really nice comments, Ben, from our listeners that it feels like a real game, like a, like a real audio experience, which is what I think we, we were all trying to get for the home games. Now, the road games, it's a different story. And, and uh, I guess the best way to describe it is I feel like I'm doing the game with one arm uh, tied behind my back. Sure. And so you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not talking about what you're seeing. You're talking about what you're being shown. Right. And that's a big that's a big difference. So, and, but I think our our fans have been understanding from the standpoint that, and I knew going in, there were going to be things we were going to miss, and we have right. There's there's stuff we've missed. I mean, there there been home runs down the line that I haven't seen, whether they were fair or foul. But I think we all understand it and understand the reason why. No, you're right. It, it does feel like everyone's a little more forgiving this year, and that's something I appreciate. I think everyone understands why we're doing it this way this year. I know for me, I'm just happy we have baseball at all. So those are some of the sacrifices that we have to make. But yeah, the, I was going to say the biggest thing, Ben, is that I think baseball fans have been longing for a sense of diversion mm -hmm. and some entertainment. And that's the reason that I'm doing the games. If we can bring a sense of joy to some people, and even in a normal year, the first people I think about are the shut-ins, the people that can't get out, um, even in the best of circumstances. And of course, that group of people has grown this year with the sheltering in place. And there are still people now uh, who are spending most of their time at home. And those are the people that we're broadcasting to. And if we can provide some entertainment and, and some normalcy for them during the course of this, even though it's a truncated season, that's the greatest gratification, I think, that we're getting. And I can speak for Vince and for, for Ray, and they would echo that as well. Absolutely. And you guys have done a, a phenomenal job. And I, I know A's fans everywhere appreciate you every year, but especially this year. Well, on that note, I wanted to, to ask you about, you know, as I, as I said, when I introduced you, you've 
You came over to the A's in 1996. You've seen some great teams. Not to put you on the spot too much, but I'm wondering if you have a, a favorite a favorite call from from your time announcing A's games. I thought you, you were going to ask me if if there was a team that was the best team during all those years, or if maybe that'll be next. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, first of all, and it's serendipity. You know, we have nothing to do with it. We just happen to be there. So I've been really fortunate to be, like I said, 11 postseasons now in the last 21 years and a 20-game winning streak and three no-hitters, including a perfect game. And you've been part of it too, Ben. You've been out there for a lot of these great moments too over the years. Yeah. Uh, and I've said this before. I think the most emotional single moment was the last out of Dallas Braden's perfect game because of the Hollywood story. Obviously, people are very aware of how he lost his mom when he was uh, still a teenager and his grandmother was at the ballpark. So... That was the most emotional I've ever been. And holding back tears, I mean, my eyes were watering as I saw his grandmother come down on the field and they embrace. So I don't think anything could top that for me. So that would be the one, I guess, single moment. But for a longer stretch of time, obviously the 20-game winning streak, uh, there's nothing I think that we'll ever see that could, that could match that. Both incredible moments. On the opposite end of the spectrum, and don't worry if you don't have an answer, we'll just, we'll just edit this out. But I'm wondering, you know, even even the great Ken Korak, I'm, I'm imagining, has made some mistakes behind the microphone. I'm wondering if there's one call that you you wish you had another shot at. You don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a few of them, actually. But I guess I forget the it must have been 97. Maybe it was 96 because McGuire was traded in 97. The home run that McGuire hit off the scoreboard in Cleveland, if you remember that, that was really an, an unbelievable, it was like the loudest thing I've ever heard. I guess maybe the second loudest because his home run off Randy Johnson at the Kingdom was like, you know, this incredible sound that I can, I can still hear ringing in my ears. But I just wasn't on that at all. I did not give it the description. That the I didn't rise to that occasion and capture the kind of majesty and the awe that we all felt, I think, in looking at that ball go up at Jacobs Field and hit the scoreboard out there. So I don't know where my head was at, but it wasn't in the right place calling that. And then really, most more recently, uh, Mike Fires' uh, no-hitter call. Now, the call of the pitch and the out and the curveball in the dirt and Fires has thrown his third no-hitter, I think that I was on that. But in the aftermath of that, again, I don't know, I was brain lock or whatever happened, I wasn't, I wasn't as locked in in the moment as I wanted to be. And so I kind of fumbled around with that. So I wasn't real, real pleased with that. So I think those are, those would be the two that stand out. Now I thought you were going to ask me about the Jeter flip because that was the, the Jeter flip was the one call that I made that A's fans never want to hear again. Yeah. Right. So that's one that I, you know, they don't want to hear me talking about the Jeter flip. And I did, I did call that of course in 01. I think most A's fans have tried to just erase that entire that entire experience from, from their memory, but that's a good, you know it's so it's fascinating to hear you talk about some of these that that you kind of wish you had done better because it's I think to the average listener you know when I listen to your Mike Fires no hitter it sounds brilliant to me and so I think it, it just kind of goes to show we're all our probably our um, our biggest critics, you know, and, and we want to be perfectionists. Um, but I think that just shows, you know, why you're so good at what you do is you really want to nail the call. You want to nail the moment. You want to uh, bring the, that 
excitement and the atmosphere to the listeners. And I mean, speaking, speaking for uh, most A's fans, I think you've done a, a tremendous job of that throughout your, your career, but it, it is really interesting to hear you kind of touch on some of those other calls. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Ben. It's nice of you. And I wouldn't be here for all these years if I hadn't had the support of the A's fans. I mean, they've been incredibly good to me. And I, I sincerely, we don't take that for granted. And it, it means the world to me and to my family. And we've talked about that a lot. So A's fans have been great. My feeling about the call is, is that as long as my head's in the right place, if I'm focused and I have the, I've really worked very hard on my approach to all this. And to the point where I've driven myself kind of the, the, the edge of being neurotic about it. As long as, as long as I'm in the right place and I mess up a call, I understand that those things happen, right? You can't put undue pressure on yourself. But if for whatever reason, I'm not, I don't follow the own, my own mantra in terms of how I want to approach doing the games, then I feel like I have a little more license to be hard on myself, if that makes any, any sense. Absolutely. It, I, you I, know. I, I've worked pretty hard at just trying to be in that, the right frame of mind. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It's almost like a player. I mean, you do the prep work, you do the preparation, and then once you're out there, you, you just do the best that you can. And if it doesn't work out one at bat, you come back and get them the next time. And, and I think that's probably a similar approach. <laughs> and then you, you hope that on some of the big calls, it's like a no-doubter. Yeah. Like, like on Tejada's home run for the 18th game. Thank goodness that was a no-doubter, right? Yeah. You know, because he knew it right off the bat. So I've been real lucky on some of those. Well, Ken, thank you so much for coming on the Believe in A's podcast. We, we hope that the next big call we hear from you is uh, an A's World Series clinching out or, or a walk-off, however they win it. We, wanna, we want the A's to win the World Series this year. So we'll start with round one beginning uh, against the Chicago White Sox, and hopefully we will move on from there and we'll continue to hear your calls deep into October. Thanks again, Ken, so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Well, thanks, Ben. And you've done a great job covering the team over the years yourself. So good luck with your podcast. And uh, I enjoyed being on. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You can, of course, hear Ken on the call this week as the A's host the White Sox in the best of three first round of the playoffs. And if you want to follow Ken on social media, his Twitter handle is at Ken Korak Radio. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Ben Ross Tweets. And don't forget to download and subscribe the Believe in Oakland A's podcast anywhere you get your pods. We've got new episodes every Tuesday. And hopefully our next one will still be in the baseball season for the A's, as that would mean they have advanced past the White Sox and into the American League Division Series. Either way, we'll be back with a brand new episode next week. I want to thank Ken Korak once again for joining us. And thank you for tuning in. This has been the Believe in Oakland A's podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast.
easier said, done.